Hi guys, welcome back to Star Girl. It's Emma. Today is Tuesday, August 1st, 2023. Um, yeah, welcome back. I hope everybody is doing well. I hope you have um, big intentions for this next month. <laughs> Personally, I'm doing great, honestly. I mentioned this last time, but I quit my job. So um, this is my last week of work before... I take some time to do nothing. Anyways, uh, I'm very excited about today's episode on Miss Dasha Nekrasova. Um, Dasha is a very natural star girl and um, someone who I think I'm going to go out on a limb and assume a lot of people have a really uh, fraught relationship to. Um, and, uh, I wouldn't describe my relationship to Dasha as totally fraught, though not unfraught, but I guess, yeah, Dasha's just someone who I've watched very closely and was who, and who was very influential in me putting the pieces of New York together and kind of, yeah, instrumental in my sense making of my surroundings. Um, I moved to New York in, 2018, um, which was the same year that Red Scare, Dasha's podcast, um, started. And, and so, yeah, she, she and Anna were very early points on the map in terms of figuring out characters of New York and people in my own social life and like what people were going for or rejecting. One thing I talk about a lot with Star Girls is them as an organizing principle um, for, you know, other like work or like people. And I think Dasha operates on that level for me. Um, but then also, I think personally, she was someone that I was always using as a point of comparison, I guess, when trying to um, understand the landscape. <laughs> and also, um, I think even just casually, like, you know, just being like, oh, it's kind of like similar to like a Dasha vibe, but in XYZ differentiated ways, blah, 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 blah. So um, all to say, I'm very excited about this episode. And yeah, let's get into it. Okay, I only have a couple of Stargirl news items today. Um, one, I just want to acknowledge the Barbie movie since this is the first time I've recorded since it came out. And, um, and it's kind of amazing for how long like a year plus of lead up and like marketing we got for this movie how like quickly we're like sick of it but I do have just one quick thing to say um which is in relation to the Margot Robbie mid discourse which incidentally Anna and Dasha just did an episode on um I just want to put it on the record for myself that I absolutely do not agree that Margot Robbie is mid obviously she is like extremely beautiful but I do believe that the take that she is not threatening to women and therefore was potentially not a good Barbie casting I, I believe that I guess so I think that she 
is the perfect casting for the project of Greta Gerwig's Barbie, right? Wherein we are kind of rewriting the narrative of what Barbie meant across the board historically to women, which is more of as like a friend and as a, you know, a paradise escapism place, feminist utopia. But my memory of Barbie which I'm sure others share, is that she actually was a threatening character when we were young. Or at least, like, I I mean, I didn't even have direct contact with Barbie because I was just told that she was a threatening character that, you know, it was it was worth shielding myself from. Like, I wasn't allowed to have Barbies in the house. And my mom is, like, absolutely not, like, a second wave feminist at all. But it was just kind of, you know, this. it felt like there's this... Um, you know, she was like too sexualized, too impossibly proportioned to be a positive influence on a young girl's life. And so um, I think that Greta Gerwig's Barbie is reinterpreting or reimagining even what that psychological relationship to Barbie is slash was. Um, so I think that Margot Robbie in her classical but kind of uh, obvious and not that sexual beauty is a good fit for that that interpretation of Barbie but I, I don't think that Margot Robbie as Barbie faithfully portrays the sexual threat or at least the competitive threat that Barbie was um, among young girls and women at least from my point of view and you guys know I grew up in Seattle in late 90s early 2000s so um that as a as a place that believed itself to be kind of a progressive utopia um I think that I can't think of like any girls in my social circle growing up who had in my social circle I can't think of any playdates that I went to where I was like playing with Barbies um anyways so um that is all on that uh, next thing is want to touch base now that Scammer, Caroline, Car- Caroline Calloway's book has come out and received some critical reception, um, all of which, or the vast majority of which was very, very positive. Um, and, and I also have done some further reflection on her, um, in part prompted by, um, a girl who emailed me, a listener, Grace. And the thing that Grace said that really made me shudder upon reading it was she said that Caroline is kind of forced into this realm of quote unquote performance art because performance is the only way that she can relate socially. And um, that I think is really key to what is so um humiliating about Caroline and draw to public humiliation kind of the desperation of the performer these are things that I mean we talk about a lot on this podcast and also that Dasha and Anna have had several conversations about as well when they're adjudicating women and um, their self-portrayals and so in this episode let's kind of just keep this in mind and think about like you know if both Caroline and Dasha share this same I guess in Anna Dasha's language, craven uh, drive toward attention and fame and, you know, natural propensity for performance that results in a lot of desperation and humiliation. If they both share that same quality, but how does Dasha kind of endlessly emerge 
I'm not going to say unscathed, but like she still feels appealing. She still feels like someone that people are both drawn to and want to be more like. Whereas Caroline's exhibition of those traits is really not appealing, I guess. So, so many differences between the two, obviously, but maybe we can tease that out. Um, And also this, this applies to so many of the people that we've talked about. I think Julia Fox, Grimes, Lena Dunham at times, Azalea Banks, even Addison in her early days of TikTok. I think there was a feeling of desperation and um, almost like entitlement to attention that um, was a big turnoff for people. So anyways, let's keep that in mind. Um, Okay, then, oh, Thank you for everybody who listened to and reached out about the last episode on Lauren Kansky. And it was really exciting to see um, how many people have thoughts about fitness content and rhetoric. And there's a huge opportunity for more intelligent conversation about fitness content as a cultural artifact, um, about the evolution of the ways that we talk about the body and physique and um, as it relates to beauty, as it relates to health and how there's all these disconnects in that space. Um, Anyways, so let's just keep the conversation going. And one thing that I forgot to say about Lauren that I really wanted to bring up um, and is relevant to our discussion today is the idea of play. So um, Lauren within her work and her messaging is a huge advocate of play. And this is one tactic she uses to um, get people excited about moving their body, right? She's like, even just this past week, she posted a video of her deadlifting and the caption was like recess. And so she's really inviting us back into this childlike mental space where moving your body is fun and necessary and impulsive. Um, And then practically speaking, she also uses play to describe a lot of um, movement patterns that she's very passionate about adults incorporating into their day-to-day life. So things like getting on your hands and knees, crawling around, jumping, moving from side to side rather than only forward and back. um, And you know, when she first said that, I like hadn't even realized like outside of a yoga class, how infrequently I'm like crawling around on the floor. Um, And anyway, so she has very practical manifestations of that uh, ideology, I guess. Um, Or probably more likely she's like formed that messaging out of movement patterns that she thinks are important for (laughs) longevity but either way it totally works for me um and then also making that a little bit more abstract I also want to introduce into the star girl lexicon the ideas of play fun laughter as um potential star girl qualities um it's a cool quality in women and it's different than women being funny right like being playful and silly is a totally different um and I don't mean I don't mean like goofy but actually people who just love to laugh and mess around there's a lightness of spirit to that that I think um is something that can be really attractive in in certain women 
I absolutely think that this applies to Dasha today, um, and we'll talk about it in more depth later on, um, but I think that's something that kind of pulls Dasha out of what otherwise might be seen as just like fully pilled in so many other ways, is that you can tell that she is very playful and has this lightness of spirit um, and that she's very mischievous. Um, she has a little glint in her eye, right? And we've talked about that that almost like near feeling evil glint with people like Azalea Banks and Grimes, um, that they are really, the way that they observe the world is naturally finding things absurd and hilarious. And um, this is one of my favorite qualities about Dasha. And again, uh, something that I think elevates her out of this like detached, um, just like ironic space that a lot of people write her off for. Um, but I actually think she's pretty lighthearted and pretty free spirited. And I think that's what um, is a really magnetizing um, and maybe surprising given her, given how she aesthetically portrays herself. And so maybe we can sum this up as the trickster archetype. And this idea of the trickster was brought to my attention by Ella Simone on Instagram. So thank you for that. And just have to give a shout out to her because I don't know, months ago now, we just had several great conversations over Instagram on about Dasha. And so she helped me out a lot with thinking through this episode. So thank you, Ella. Okay, so let's get started. Um, okay, so Dasha Nekrasova, who is she and what is her craft? So a couple ways to answer that. Dasha is best known for Red Scare, a podcast that she has been a co-host of since it started in 2018 with Anna Ketchian. Um, And we will do a full dive on the vibes of Red Scare in a second, but um, podcaster is one way to answer this question. Um, she's also an actress and a filmmaker. An asterisk that I would add here is that she's more of an aspiring actress. I feel like this is something that she beats home herself a lot and is also kind of critical to her character. Um, we see her always as very youthful, as very aspiring. She self-narrates as very desperate. Um, and as I mentioned before, somehow still makes this all feel endlessly appealing. Um, and so, you know, desperation is a theme that she and Anna tackle over and over again um, with specific women who they are analyzing with um the female form at large with uh, within themselves. Um, and I think that tracking the spectrum of palpable desperation is something that they are interested in. And we therefore can also be interested in, in just in discussing Dasha. Um, but I think her real craft is just being a girl online. Um, she's a poster. I believe she is a muse for many, which is uh, controversial and we can get into. Um, but she is kind of endlessly analyzed as an internet personality and on all internet forums imaginable. The risk of shoehorning ill-fitting 
analysis in. Um, there's a book that came out in 2022, Girl Online by Joanna Walsh, um, that it was published by Verso. It's like an extremely Verso-y book. I guess it just, I guess the book is described as a manifesto on the demands, constraints, opportunities of being a woman on the internet. But when I was reading it, I kept just thinking, okay, if there's one girl online, it's Dasha. Like she's kind of the ultimate representation of a girl online in um, our near recent history. Um, And obviously there are many, many women who are more followed or more famous online than Dasha. But I do think that she's uh, extremely internet literate and... It just feels like a very natural habitat for her, I guess. Um, so, yeah, she. I guess she's a particular genre of poster that I think will come to emblematize this near recent time. Um, and there is certainly a case to be made that she, at least in part, defined this particular genre of a girl online. Um, or I, at least it's definitely the case that many people look to her for inspiration on how they might behave online. Like if you just like do one big scroll on Twitter, you can see like 100 million, you know, Dasha knockoffs. Um, yeah, I guess the term e-girl feels meaningless. Um, but I guess is literally apt in this situation. But I guess Dasha is the first like truly e-girl that we've talked about so far. Um, Okay, we'll do a quick rundown of the bio before we dive into all of her vibes. So she was born in Belarus, right? This is critical to her origin story. Um, My notes say in 1919. (laughs) Pretty sure in 1990, she was born in Belarus. Um, Anyways, so yeah, Dasha is maybe the only Belarusian that I care about. No, Olga Corbett. That's the only other one. Um, Anyways, her parents were acrobats um, and performers. And so they moved to Vegas um, when her dad got a job at Cirque du Soleil when Dasha was young. Um, So she grew up in Vegas. She went to a performing arts high school and then she went to Mills College, which is in Oakland and at the time was uh, an all girls school. Um, It has since merged. I don't know why I have this note in here. I have note has since merged with Northeastern University, the first bi-coastal university of its kind. I don't know why that's in there, but that's fine. Um, Anyways, and she lived on the West Coast then for years after college um, in L.A., as well as in San Francisco, I believe, and at some point later on um, moved to New York. Oh, right. I think she graduated from Mills in like 2012, somewhere around that time. But she didn't move to New York for several years after that. Um, Anyways, in terms of her career as a performer, so she started out in music videos. And I had actually never seen these until um, starting to put together research for this episode. Um, But if you guys know the artist band, Yumi Zuma, um, which is a band I actually had listened to in years past, but I had never explored their catalog enough to find Dasha buried in their videos. Um, And so then she was in a bunch of short films 
in the meantime, none of which I've seen, unfortunately. Um, but in 2018, she starred in Wobble Palace, directed by her dear friend Eugene, who appears again and again um, throughout the rest of her career and social life, I guess. Um, and he... Uh, played opposite her in that movie um I just watched that like earlier this year for the first time and yeah it's funny how like even then the natural character for her to play was kind of disaffected like borderline down and out but so kind of bratty that it doesn't even feel like that depressing um I yeah so that clearly she has this this is the way that people see her um and it's just always uncanny to see this sounds so stupid but to see people's like early work <laughs> it's like they, they don't almost don't even look like the same person because like you're like superimposing so much context and of your own projection onto them and so then to see the pre them them it's like wait what did you still contain all that I now believe you to contain um anyways that movie is significant because while she was promoting that film at South by Southwest that year this is when the viral clip of her interacting with the Infowars reporter while she's in the Sailor Moon costume yeah I guess first created her as as an internet sensation um so that is a now infamous clip I'm sure many of you have seen it um then yes that same year 2018 she also was in a movie called softness of bodies this is also the same year that she started red scare with Anna um and at the beginning they also had this third member of the group Meg what was her name Meg Murnane, who was their producer, and I think in some early episodes as well, um, but she's been gone for years and years now. Since then, because I actually have relatively little to say about her acting career, um, so I'll just run through other other big items. In 2020, she was in this movie called PVT Chat, Private Chat, starring Julia Fox and Peter Vack. Um, Peter's a character that comes up again and again in in Dasha's professional life as well um and then in 2021 end of 2021 was when she released her first movie that she wrote and directed um called the scary of 61st I actually went to the opening of that at the quad um which I don't know if I have anything to say about but I was pumped I wanted to support (laughs) um and then obviously the big kind of like our girl made it moment was when she was cast in succession as I feel like what was I don't want to like butcher the exact title of her character Comfrey but was she like a PR assistant or something to Kendall something in that vein um anyways succession is where for instance my mom knows her from (laughs) okay so that's a brief rundown so Okay, I want to tell you guys a story about the first time that I ever saw Dasha. Um, So this must have been early 2019, maybe like January or February 2019, at Upstairs Bar, which is a bar on Canal Street in Manhattan. Um, I was there with my boyfriend at the time, and who was visiting from out of town. Um, at this point, I did not know who Dasha was. I did not know what Red Scare was. Um, this was just a couple months after I had moved to New York, and... Um, I mean, I didn't know a lot of things. (laughs) I didn't really know what was going on. Um, Anyways, so we were there and my boyfriend, 
who was a big Come Town fan, recognized Adam Friedland there. And he was like, oh my God, this is like this podcast that I listen to, blah, blah, blah. Um, this guy is here, like so cool, blah, blah, blah. And I don't even remember how it came about if I was, if he like dared me or I was like talking big and was like, oh, like I'm not afraid of a local celebrity or something. Anyways, I went, marched myself right up to him and was like, hi, I'm Emma, just like whatever, just like making random conversation. And then Dasha, again, who I did not know of at the time, um, came and sidled up to him and did not even say anything. But, you know, I put two and two together that I should walk away, um, which I did. Anyways, I remember just being immediately like, oh, this this is someone who has an aura, (laughs) like – regardless of that fact that she doesn't want me to be talking to her boyfriend um I am intimidated just immediately um and I remember that she was wearing (laughs) in my memory it was like a Bavarian outfit and her hair was loosely braided and then like wrapped around her head so that it was like in almost kind of like a halo or like I don't even know if that is factually correct but this is this is the imprint that I have as I said I was really uh I was very new to New York and just not I did not yet know like what was ever being signaled and so I remember being very confused even as I knew that this like this okay this is a chick who like has power but I did not understand what she was going for and I remember asking my boyfriend at the time I was like wait is what's the deal is she foreign (laughs) and he was like I mean actually yeah but you're missing like many many links in this story (laughs) um and I remember he was like you know she she hosts this like really stupid podcast with her friend um where they like attempt to talk about politics or something and I was like oh well I, <laughs> my interest is peaked. <laughs> like I've got to look into it. Um, and and from there, I uh, yeah got got up to speed on the emerging world that was Red Scare. And um, it turns out I was uh, a big fan. Anyways, so that was my first brush. <laughs> but speaking of them as both early influences and long-term models of success. I want to talk about uh, Dasha as a representative of New York and what that could potentially mean, not mean. Um, So before I even attack that question, um, I want to revisit the New York Magazine It Girl spread that came out this past April, which on the whole I was a big fan of. I think like that is a spirit of New York Magazine and New York culture writing in general that I am like very pro returning to. It's a very Tina Brown energy to build in that that feeling of like gossiped history um, and animate New York party culture, art scenes, just like people about town um, and make it feel really urgent and fun and uh, perennially available. However, the massive failure of that spread was that the the it girl of today, they like couldn't decide and they had that whole bit about like the inflation of the it girl. Now there's just too many when it's very, very clear that Dasha is the it girl of our time if you had to pick one girl who is representative of New York scene stirdom even as that narrative in 2023 feels tired feels played out feels like what more could we possibly mine out of this scene and this person it is still very clearly 
her and um, as someone who like represents both a micro scene and continually has larger and larger circles of influence um, and who I think when we look back we'll, we'll say like oh Dasha was you know the New York it girl of of this time um, something that I've said in past episodes specifically about like star girls who feel like New York characters is you know do they do they represent what it feels like to be here now um and um do they do that effectively both for other people who live here now and for you know New York voyeurs who are interested in identifying the emblem of of the zeitgeist right and so I think we talked about that a little bit in the Julia Fox episode where you know her mythological backstory it's easy to latch to as a classic New York story that is kind of continually exciting to imagine and that feels out of reach while I don't think Lena Dunham in and of herself is a stand-in for the zeitgeist obviously her work in girls is um and so i think that she is a very new york character in that attempt to capture and amplify the spirit of the times that works both for those who are also lived through them and those who are watching them from afar whether like geographically disparate or just like from a different point in time um so i think that while yes i agree with the critique that Dasha only represents a very small part of New York that has an inflated sense of self and you know disproportionate attention given to it okay like that's always going to happen and the fact of the matter is that she and whatever we believe that she represents captured the attention of a moment in time better than anything else that's going on in New York did. And for that, like, we just have to give it credit. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I will say that I think, uh, you know, I have empathy for the position that focusing on Dasha and Dasha-like characters is limiting or um what's the word I'm looking for I guess it's 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 difficult to keep the faith that you could be successful here if you don't feel like you look like the model of downtown success but kind of not relevant <laughs> or just like get over it or just figure it out um so yeah anyways so to talk more head on about the phenomenon of Dime Square, this has been an endlessly analyzed space, group of people, physical location for like, what, it's 2023? I would say like three to four plus years now that people have been continuing to write about and analyze and talk about Dime Square. There's like so many pieces that I can't even get into. <laughs> um... But the, the ones that are coming to mind right now are the James Pogue piece in Vanity Fair from last year. Um, I'm even thinking, though this is not directly related to Dasha, but the Ben Smith piece that was talking about Drunken Canal when it first came out, but then also just like, oh, these downtown kids had a fun pandemic kind of thing. Um, I'm thinking of this piece in The Baffler that came out last year um, by this guy, Will. Oh my God, I'm blanking on his last name. Oh, Will Harrison, um, that, that 
talked about, I mean, it was like a pretty brutal piece and he got pretty ripped to shreds, but um, I get the project of trying to talk about the suffocation that many people felt by the, by this one scene that people either felt rejected by or were rejecting or both or just were sick of hearing about or felt like there was no other space to be creative in New York because if it wasn't this one thing then it couldn't be anything else and just had a lot of like you know moral criticisms about the type of person that was involved in this scene and I don't know um I think that those are all real feelings and I think that um, I don't know. I've totally felt them and written about them as well. So I get that. I get the feeling that every piece that's written about Dime Square both fails to capture it correctly and is just really embarrassing for whoever is writing about it as they kind of like attempt to, uh, you know, map out all of the players and all of the artifacts of the world. And it just like feels really embarrassing (laughs) um I agree with that and I agree with the idea that there's just like it feels like there's nothing new to say about it for years like I remember having a conversation with over a year ago now with Callie and we were like oh my god there's been no like new developments in the vibes for like two years like what more could possibly be said um so yes that is like an authentic feeling that I have had And I'm not as angered by the continuing bleed out discourse on it because I kind of just think that like, okay, we're going to continue to hear about it until, until it's replaced by another scene that has crazy gravitational pull. Um, And I feel like one reason why that hasn't quite happened yet is because so many new things are still like working in the... Uh, the same aesthetic lineage and just like general mood that was established by this moment of like whatever downtown disaffected layabout kind of vibes. There's been no like location replacement or art project that creates this crazy like there hasn't been something that's like creating as much energy nothing has like been able to have as much lasting influence as whatever so like I don't know I'm getting really jumbled here but basically like the passing of the torch will come but it will only come when something sick enough and big enough to attract a real amount of people in in a new and meaningful and exciting way until that happens but I guess to bring this back to Dasha um Dasha is not only emblematic of that mood and moment in time but also helped to define it right um Okay, so let's talk about Red Scare, the podcast specifically. As I said, it was started in 2018 by, at the time, Anna, Dasha, and this other chick, Meg. There's this cut profile from 2018 that is talking about Red Scare, and um, Meg is still around, and she's like in the images. That's how I remembered about her, because I was like, wait, who is this other third random chick? Um, But anyways, it was pretty cool to read that. They're like, meet New York's hottest new podcast hosts, critics of both feminism and capitalism. It's like, (laughs) okay, so, so many geniuses of Red Scare in its construction, the genius of all the things she said as the intro song specifically for them, the genius of We're Back, the genius of See You in Hell, like these are very 
small but meaningful things that make it feel reliable and cozy and um yeah make make it feel intimate I guess oh or even the fact that like all of their episode titles still are puns in some way like I don't know why I find that so endearing and like it's always been really cute to me to imagine them like thinking of them and obviously all often in the episodes you hear them stumble upon the pun which they then go on to use as the title for that episode but um yeah it's like cute in so many ways that they felt very especially early on very distant disaffected and um yeah just felt so remote um often on purpose to alienate everyone and make it this like kind of harsh space um there was always an intimacy to it both between them and then once you listen to enough like it just you felt invited in and I'm this is now that sounds stupid to say because we all know that that is necessary to cultivate if you want your podcast to be successful but for them so early on my feeling of it was always like they didn't realize this magical space that was both like intimate and alienating at once anyways the the project of DIY girl in your bedroom with a microphone looked very different then and they very um effectively and you know kind of without much like strategy built this amazing thing um okay so when I was thinking what is Red Scare about I was like okay it's about politics and women (laughs) which um I am going to stand by, actually. And, you know, definitely when we think of what are the top criticisms of Red Scare, it's for its politics and for its misogyny. So, yeah, I think it is about politics and women. So much else as well. Um, Obviously, they talk a lot about art, a lot about religion. They talk a lot about psychology and, yeah, psychological theory (laughs) throughout history. Um, They talk about literature. They talk about Hollywood. I don't know, scandals and controversies of the day. Um, And if, I guess, if anybody is unfamiliar, the, like, most off-cited influences are, like, Christopher Lash, Camille Paglia, Zizek, Welbeck, um, and top most emblematic of their project guests or like most recurring is like Glenn Greenwald, um, Thomas Chatterjee Williams, um, Alex Lee Moyer. Um, I mean, I guess Steve Bannon was like a huge kind of turning point in um, the way that Red Scare was viewed publicly or like uh, dots that uh, – critics and others started to be able to connect um I mean they've had Tulsi on they've had um well I guess pretty recently they had Ann Coulter on um and oh yeah and Alex Jones so that was you know famously the full circle moment after the uh after the like Infowars interview from Dasha in 2018 in the Sailor Moon uh, outfit um, to then like reuniting with him years later. Um, Yeah, and several internet personalities as well. They've had Delicious Tacos on. They've had um, Jack from TPN. Um, Anyways, oh, I mean, Curtis Yarvin, I feel like is a huge piece of the puzzle. (laughs) A huge like piece that they're like culturally fit in with. Um, 
oh, I forgot to say that. But at some point, I like stopped being so religious about my listening to Red Scare. I don't know, a year and a half ago. I'm not even sure. Um, but I have been keeping up more this spring as I started to think about recording an episode about Dasha. Um, I feel like guests of late that I've really enjoyed is like Sagar. That was, and that was somebody that I had like so little touch point for. And I just thought he like, seemed so cute <laughs> like <laughs> like you've seemed really smiley um and then elena velez that fashion designer who also i was like pretty unfamiliar with um i feel like just as important as their guests are like the recurring figures that they can't help but talk about so number one being donald trump <laughs> and um i think they're views on trump or not even views on trump but analysis of the public's response to Donald Trump um was very influential with me influential to me whatever it was very influential and um was some early stuff that I really agreed with so you know Anna's kind of famous point about people hate Donald Trump because they see themselves in him um I feel like that was kind of a watershed moment for me where I was like oh my god like these these girls really get it they really understand how people work and I completely agree um and so I think a lot of that early analysis around the hysteria that Trump generated um was something that I just totally tracked with and so I think inherently like I felt like they just got how people work and like they are um, very interrogating of particularly Anna of their own like delusions and and overcompensations and so I think that that even as I disagreed with them or kind of just got bored by their provocations as time went on I feel like the 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 center of trust was in like I feel like you guys read people well or at least come to conclusions about people that I also tend to come to so I um so so I trust you I guess um and I also believe that you're very observant so I trust you um okay anyways other people they talk about all the time Lana Del Rey obviously huge influence um for years at the beginning AOC was like like she was like representative of so much that they criticized um in women in the Democratic Party so I feel like she was early on when I started listening in 2019 was a very central character to their project um who else do they talk about a lot I mean they track Tucker pretty closely um and I think you know when they started talking about conservative media figures in general but particularly Tucker that was actually I'm gonna not go any further because I don't really know as opposed to some of these other characters I haven't tracked as closely their evolution with uh how they deploy Tucker and their criticisms of Tucker as different devices over time but like whatever he's a character um okay weirdly enough Anne Hathaway they are obsessed with they bring her up so much I feel like any time I've just like randomly pop in and listen to an episode and they bring her up and I'm like what how are you guys so obsessed with this person who is so like like I I agree with what they tend to analyze about her and think that she is representative of and I think she's like such a random choice but they clearly have some preoccupation with her as a stand-in for some type of kind of uh bland but definitely beautiful yeah almost like chaste Hollywood icon or something anyways um but that's interesting and if you haven't picked up on that 
like look around and see how much they talk about her. Um, also, Sydney Sweeney, this is more on Anna. And she's like, a, yeah, I feel like Sydney is like a device that they use often. And I remember the first time that they talked about her, that struck me because I was like, that seems so like out of scope for them. Like, why would they be caring about Sydney Sweeney? But I think that gave me a little bit more insight into what they may actually desire to be more like. Like I was I thought it was like Sydney Sweeney's like so not cool, you know? Like why would they care about that? I feel like Sydney is beautiful and very sexy in ways that they kind of debunk as like uh as kind of like a a cheap form of sex appeal or something like I I think that they're very attuned to like men hot girl hot but I think that they would have thought that like oh Sydney Sweeney's a girl that like you you think is hot but then like she's actually not or something but they seem to genuinely think that she is desirable okay whatever who else are big oh oh my god obviously Morrissey very important and and they might be excited to know actually that my first concert was Morrissey but not because I was a fan but because I was dragged by my dad <laughs> but um um what else I mean BAP I was actually going to bring up BAP in in last week's episode about like deranged <laughs> voices in the in the physique space but I thought better not but you know what for for Anna and Dasha I'll say the name oh wait wait, wait. sorry back to the like actresses that you talk about I actually really like it when they're just being girly and talk about women and this has definitely been a space that has historically garnered them a lot of criticism right this is where the whole like oh they're a misogynist like they're pro Anna blah 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 and I agree that they can be pretty severe but they're so entertaining that even when criticisms that like physical criticisms that they have of other women or behavioral I guess apply to me I somehow like am on their side you know so I think that they're very effective at like getting into other people's self-hate and kind of exploiting it for a joke and you know and also they're so quick and articulate and so like glossing over that by being like oh there's like uh, there's masochism baked into it is almost too simplistic because it's actually just that it's very good entertainment (laughs) um and and it's, it's like that well maybe this is masochism but it's like when you're being insulted by them, you get like aptly analyzed or characterized, right? So you're like, oh, LMAO, you think this about my type? Couldn't have said it better myself. No. <laughs> um, okay, so we've talked about a lot about Red Scare and Anna and Dasha as all one thing. But I think a big part of the Red Scare story and therefore of the Dasha story is the Anna versus Dasha and and versus is actually kind of the wrong thing because they're not quite they're not pitted against each other as adversaries but they are in many ways portrayed as opposites right and yeah so there's kind of a I'm this you're that thing going on Um, I mean they do it in really like silly but meaningful ways on the podcast right where it's always like Dasha's tits are too small Anna's are too big and like you know like I'm dark you're light that kind of thing Um, and I think that even as it is simplistic, it's a useful part of them building out their world because it's very easily identifiable energy opposites that are fun to play with. Um, 
another layer of it is that it's really intense to witness friends doing that I'm this you're that kind of situation at least to me one of my closest friends when we were younger we also got kind of trapped into that like I'm light, you're dark sort of thing. And we'd always be like, oh, you're you're the this thing, I'm the that thing. And obviously we do this on the podcast all the time with paradigms, which we're going to do for Anna Dosh in a second. Um, but that can cause problems in the friendship, obviously, <laughs> right? And so I don't think we have ever really witnessed um, real tension between Anna and Dasha. Um, but I think that because they're creating the space of two very close female friends, it's natural to um, almost like imagine them in competition with each other or imagine the jealousies that are beneath the surface. Um, and yeah, project our own experiences with what that looks like to kind of feel like you're neck and neck with somebody for different reasons um yeah to project that onto them so anyways I just think that that's a piece of what we get out of of watching them um so Dasha was very obviously to me a star girl um whereas Anna even as I have always like felt um like more love for her I guess felt closer to her felt like like she was always my favorite (laughs) um I don't see as a star girl and I've been thinking about why that is um I guess you know if we think of a star girl as somebody who generates conversation yes I think that Dasha just naturally does generate conversation even when she's a passive actor um like yeah just so many people want to talk about her online and offline like she's just always somebody that comes up whereas I think that the conversation that Anna inspires is more like instigated by her if that makes sense but I think that really the only thing preventing Anna from feeling like a star girl is herself like I feel like she can't quite let herself be humiliated and tossed around as much as Dasha feels okay too and so back to that kind of the the tricksterism and the lightness of spirit that I feel with Dasha where Dasha feels very okay being humiliated like debasing herself whereas Anna feels like a little bit more controlling and also I just think Anna's a more like argumentative person who is really like drawn to debate and um whenever like someone's mad about her tweet she'll really like fire back in like a very direct and um yeah I don't know like her strategy with fighting is just very different whereas I feel like Dasha will then just like respond with like a joke you know it's kind of harder to pin her down because Dasha doesn't like remain in the like logic driven world when she's not gonna be like oh I'm you know driving this point home no matter what whereas Anna I feel like will get um not quite defensive but like she wants to like prove her intelligence more, I guess, where Dasha's feels more open to just being like, oh, LMAO, I'm a fool or whatever. Um, and I don't even fault Anna for this. Like, I think that a lot of that is because she is genuinely very principled and like has very high standards. Um, and I mean, she's talked about that so much with like her parents and obviously her dad as a massive like inspiration and then also like measuring stick that it feels like she 
can never like live up to it's almost like okay like feels like she has this idea of what she should have lived up to that she didn't and so now has like recast herself as whatever quote a bohemian layabout but that like that actually isn't her nature played out or something um you know where Anna shines in the podcast I mean certainly she's like the intellectual horsepower of it and like keeps it moving and I really like watching her put her ideas together and articulate herself um actually I was just saying to David today I think Anna would be such an amazing lecturer and I know like part of her like original story is her rejection of academia um but I was just thinking about if like when I was in college if I had had Anna as a professor I would be like this is like the sickest lady alive like <laughs> I would have been so so obsessed so um I feel like that would is that would actually be an amazing calling um let's see okay well let's just put them through the through the paradigms okay so actually the, these are the two perfect to understand the difference of the fluffy sparkly okay so Dasha is a fluffy cloud angel and Anna is a sparkly grounded mom isn't that clear as day so Dasha is fluffy in that she feels very um undone and very effortless and maybe a little messy and she is cloud in that she is head in the clouds and dreamy and kind of like wherever the wind blows um that things more just happen to her and then angel in that she is at her best when she is being taken care of okay contrast with Anna is sparkly in that she is sophisticated she is pulled together and there's you know even when like years ago when she like had her mullet there's something very just defined and polished about the way that she looks and also obviously just her bone structure like there's very clear boundaries um and and stark angular lines so she's in the sparkly then the grounded much more in the material world I think actually even the what I just said about her being more um having more of an impulse toward argument and toward logic and toward like um seeing her point all the way through like she's kind of very practical in the way that she moves about the world and then mom well I wasn't thinking of that she is literally a mom but um I actually think when she became a mother like I feel like she got so much more beautiful when she became a mom like it feels like a a really like good fit to have her in a nurturing role um and yeah I don't know she's so like beautiful as mother and child like I'm just like I love it um okay so I feel like if you if you haven't gotten the fluffy sparkly breakdown yet hopefully now you have it okay um I actually have two new ones to introduce you today and I promise these actually do stop at a point and like there's so so many others that I never share because they're just too annoying but the first one is animals and so this is actually four four possibilities so four types of of women as animals spider bunny doe and hen um spider is uh seductive slinky mysterious um kind of withdrawn bunny is like snuggly lovable bouncy doe is um i don't know wide-eyed kind of skittish um innocent naive and hen is maternal um like protective uh territorial so of those, Dasha is a doe and Anna is a hen. 
okay and then one other one that I just have to say and then I never bring it up again if it's too annoying um but is (laughs) if you could only rip or only cut for the rest of your life which one would you choose and so in this Dasha is rip and Anna is cut so this kind of (laughs) it's like so stupid so Dasha is rip because there's just something that feels more like primitive and kind of like ruthlessly at the mercy of its nature she needs to like use our hands whereas Anna is very sophisticated and principled and she was just going to like politely use a fork and knife right um like she has a very like rigorous belief in manners and tradition and like right versus wrong okay I'm like this is taking me forever um but the last thing on the Anna Dasha opposites thing is that I feel like Anna represents much more warmth and Dasha much more coolness even as Anna is as we've talked about like more like kind of argumentative and intense and Dasha has more lightness of spirit but I do think that Dasha feels more distant and I was gonna say aloof it doesn't necessarily feel like nose up but just yeah more more distant and less likely to be capturable or engageable whereas Anna feels like um someone that you could like approach and more realistically like bond with (laughs) okay I'm like obviously really going out on a limb and like exposing my deep attachments to both of them but um that's is my my perception um okay to talk more specifically about Dasha as a singular star girl force um before we get into anything else, it's important to know how highly sexualized she is. <laughs> a little while ago, David asked me, how how are your notes coming along for the Dasha episode? And I was like, oh, pretty good. You know, I've still got some more thinking to do about what I want to say. He's like, oh, okay. Well, you know, just make sure you mention her best tweet of all time. Stop sexualizing my tight, wet pussy. <laughs> I was like, David... <laughs> Um, but no, but therein lies like so much about her right off the bat, which is one, her incessant, but always very lighthearted sexualization of herself and the ease with which she can play into and make fun of the, um, like how she is sexualized and then be, and more obviously the, immediate and undeniable need by men to see her as a highly valuable sexual object (laughs) um so yeah men love her and she has always seemed like one of the boys um even though the primary way that many people consume her directly is through this this podcast with her dear friend um yeah and I mean I feel like I've brought this up before, but I do feel like we're entering more of a guy's girl era, at least in affect. Like I think that girl's girl has been fully, fully played out and we're just swinging back toward um, valuing girls who can hang. Um, Yeah, it's interesting like how Dasha can remain so appealing in a sexual manner, even as she 
can, is very gross and crass. Um, I don't know. I mean, she talks so much about just like her laziness and she's just like laying in bed playing chess and oh my God, the chess thing I'd I actually don't even know I have the mental bandwidth to talk about that right now, but um, it's there. Um, And, you know, she talks about, like, her body and bodily functions and sex and, like, I don't know. I feel like she she can be very, very crass, and yet it's it's not a turnoff um, to hear her discuss these things, which is certainly not the case for, like, any chick who wants to talk about discussing, like, you know, bodily sexual situations. Um, or even, like, the all the Taco Bell stuff, right? Like, yeah, it, that that's not, like, a good look on just any girl. Um, but, I mean, there's a piece of it of just, like, oh, well, you know, she, she talks about drunk eating Taco Bell regularly and she still feels very physically like clean and supple and you know what could be hotter than like the girls who are able to to do it all um but I do feel like there's there's something about the the grotesqueness that Dasha tells us about herself that makes her even more of a compelling internet character um, because she can always remain in this kind of like weird girl space that, you know, that isn't bound by the manners of the overworld, basically. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I don't know if we want to talk about dasha derangement syndrome as a phenomenon i think maybe we can just say the label and move on (laughs) but men love her that's this is the point um okay so to talk about her actual physicality i think the most striking thing about her is how girlish she appears she's I think 31 or 32. I feel like every girl that I talk about is 31 or 32. But anyways, she's 31 or 32. And, um, or wait. Sorry, I'm just like, if she was born in 1990, was she? Wait, maybe she was born in 1991. And that's why the typo was 1919. Okay, whatever. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she's 32. Okay. Um, but she's, she looks so young. Honestly, if someone told me that she was like, 18 I would be like okay sure um and there's a couple things that contribute to this one she's very thin and I don't even think she's that tall I think she's like five six or something but she just has the appearance of like of length I guess and um she you know she's not like rail thin and her body also seems like kind of soft um or like as opposed to like sinuous or something um she does feel like soft and youthful and rosy um okay so there's that then um face wise I mean she's always talking about her quote-unquote Asiatic features um I guess like yeah her eyes are kind of the focal point of her face but she also has a very kind of perfect looking little upturned nose um yeah her eyes are always like slightly rolled back right so they're giving the effect of Sanpaco eyes or maybe she actually has them hard to tell um because they're it's they're always so posed but um yeah she just she has kind of a doll-like face I 
actually think her hair is a critical piece of this girlishness. Um, she, like, her hair, it's, well, first of all, it's dyed blonde. Um, and I actually think, find it, like, very uncanny and borderline disturbing whenever I see her with <laughs> brown hair. I'm like, no, 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 that's not right. So, like, she really definitely is, like, meant to be a blonde. And this, and this particular type of blonde that is actually very rare in dye jobs because her look her the blonde that she has looks like little girl blonde hair it's like corn husky and it also just feels very fine and fluffy and um it just feels like young hair to me and also critically it's like for the all the time that I have followed her been short like definitely shoulder length or above so yeah it's just giving kind of like schoolgirl all the time you know um I guess yeah you know what the the meme of the Dasha vibe is the trad wife aesthetic fawn bambi coquette Russian bimbo core Slavic girl right um and I mean it it, it fits it all in, right? Um, but yeah, I think if we can think of her as like an emblem of fragile women, damaged women, um, and also a great representative of girls in bed content. And um, yeah, I don't think I've ever posted a photo of myself from bed. It feels like a big leap if you're not naturally compelled toward... <laughs> that um environment to photograph yourself well this is kind of back to to dasha as a representative of new york but um thinking about her as a richard kern girl i think is potentially interesting um we talked about richard kern and the how his work continues to live on i guess even as it's um can feel quite played out in the we talked about that in the julia fox episode um but i think that dasha feels like a very natural Kern girl, both in um, what she is able to pose for, but they also seem to share like a larger ethos, um, like deep belief in horniness. I don't know. Would we say Dasha is an exhibitionist? <laughs> How she portrays herself is what he is trying to capture in his various young skinny downtown models who he's photographed for years decades um and she just naturally fits right in um this is why I thought it was so brilliant that they had him photograph her a couple years ago for the cover of Movie Maker magazine a magazine I was not familiar with before then this is when she's in the like um, Tom Brown red skirt suit and um, a lot of them she's like posing in a windowsill so um, as opposed to the vast majority of Kern girl content which would be in a bra and underwear um, she's like fully dressed and it was for the profile of her when her movie the scariest 61st was coming out so it was talking about her as as a director but these photos are beautiful yeah maybe we can look at some quintessential dasha posts while we are at it so let's pull her up all together dash underscore cam okay we're all there on Instagram. I mean, even this second picture of her on her grid right now, taken June 10th. Okay, well, this was shot by Richard Kern. Okay, so case in point. All right, let's keep scrolling. Um, 
the one that she posted June 13th of last year where she's on the bed on her stomach with her feet crossed behind her, very girlish with her Apple corded headphones in with, again, her eyes slightly rolled back. Her hair is kind of messy. Um, That feels classic. Um... Okay, well, now I'm at the still from her crab walk video, which I guess that we can talk about. Um, Yeah, viral video of her in a maid costume, um, crab walking on her back in her apartment. This was like early in the pandemic. Um, I don't know, singing along completely monotone to the, to um, that joke isn't funny anymore by the Smiths. Um, Many have called it the hottest video of 2020 um she's kind of like yeah thrusting in the air and while crab walking slowly back completely dead-eyed um I don't know what to say about it it's like uh totally brave (laughs) I can imagine very few people pulling that off so you know she's she's got something special that said I would like to direct our attention to actually my favorite video of Dasha which if we're Go back to her Instagram if you can and just get ready to scroll. We're going to September 2019. So just keep scrolling until you get there. Okay. Well, I'm there. This is a video posted September 13th, 2019 of her dancing in her hotel room in Bangkok. Um, Yellow cursive letters across the top say, thank you, Bangkok. And she's dancing around in a little white top and little white shirts and she has socks on which is important um I remember when I saw this video being transfixed (laughs) not because she looks particularly I don't know I'm sorry I'm just like watching it right now it's like it's extremely awkward but it also is very like, yeah, I can see how it would be arousing <laughs> and it like, it, yeah, it's just, it's like, like you kind of just are mesmerized by it, even as she seems so gangly and like borderline out of control of her body. Like, I don't know, in, in some ways it's kind of just like, that's how skinny girls move. Like people that are more muscular or like have a lower center of gravity, like that just looks different. Part of it is just like inherent to the the mechanics or something. Um, but it also represents as just like, you know, when I said she was distant, like sometimes it just feels like, yeah, it's this vacancy, this vacancy. That's what I was looking for. Um, that is very like sexy and can like inspire this kind of weird lust um and I mean we've talked about vacancy before with like Sydney but this video of Dasha dancing in Thailand even reminds me of what I talked about uh, watching Emily Ratajkowski move um something I was struck by in the Robin Thicke video from a decade ago but still to this day anytime Emily posts on her Instagram story her like dancing around or something there's something just like very it's it's kind of uncoordinated and like yeah just a little bit awkward but it's like so incredibly endearing and sexy um yeah and we actually see Dasha moving and dancing more than we might expect like I think I would have assumed that 
like part of her disaffectedness would also be seeming more disembodied and um, less confident in moving. But um, I don't know, even just a couple months ago, she like posted like with no caption that like extended version of her dancing to the <laughs> the dare song, which was I remember I, so many people either sent it to me and I sent to them just being like, what's going on here? You know, it's like she can do whatever she wants. Like, <laughs> um, anyways. Okay. The next thing I want to talk about, talked about a little bit at the beginning was like the internet feeling like her natural and best stage in many ways. Um, internet as opposed to real life in the flesh. And then also as opposed to like her acting in movies um anyways when we think of her as made for the internet I think that there's a way that she interacts with her audience um um even when she's just like posting a picture and the way that she like holds her gaze with the camera that um is does feel kind of her at at her best um and one thing I'm thinking of is uh I don't know when this was when the Succession cast won that ensemble award at the SAG Awards and she was on stage and she was in that um, like hot pink dress with the whole cast. And I remember like when you watch the full um, the full like widescreen shot of that acceptance speech and everybody on stage, your eyes wouldn't go to Dasha and nothing that she is like doing or the way she's carrying herself makes her kind of stand out in that environment and then we remember how the close-up shot of her face and how she was like doing all these exaggerated reactions to um whoever was speaking that was like its own viral little internet moment right and so um that to me is representative of kind of the way that she translates so well to the internet Although one thing that I think is is less a, like a Dasha issue and more just a phenomenon of the time as we see like um, people build their base on the internet as a access route to Hollywood um, is that it's very difficult to see them as characters that other people have wrote rather than just like see them as their like the, the self-authored character that we grew to associate them with like I'm thinking of like Rachel Sennett I think that's like so hard to do where it's just like oh she had such a strong and mixed down persona on Twitter and then now seeing her it's like oh it's kind of just like hard to be like anything else um other than that um and I feel that a little bit with Dasha too um where I'm like what yeah it's just it's hard to make that that leap and that's not even on them but just I think that's something we run into but okay one thing that she relates to is there's this quote in the Mary McCarthy collection that I've talked about before the company she keeps where um she's talking about the main character having considered becoming an actress but deciding that in the end she much preferred to play herself and I think that that um is also something that holds true to to this time, like both for Dasha and just for like women in general, where it's much more appealing and like immediately attainable to just craft a character for yourself and then decide to play out that character rather than to um, 
well, obviously, rather than to like actually try to become a character actress. Um, but also just like it's it's more the potential returns are greater in crafting an exaggerated version of yourself and playing that out rather than trying to like legitimately become an actress. So um, and I don't even look down on that, you know, persona crafting as a career as a vocation whatever as a craft um but like if we think of the tinkses of the world um or I mean actually so many people that we've discussed even like the Julia Fox like at this point she is a caricature of herself and that that is the job um so anyways oh one random development of Dasha of the past little while that I'm super pro is her getting into going to the gym um yeah and I've been enjoying seeing her and Anna increasingly talk about fitness and I feel like they're always like core strength is really important and I'm like yeah it is (laughs) so um okay that was the vast majority um but I just listened the other day to their of mids and men episode, which just came out last week. Um, and I found some of what they were saying pretty interesting. So, um, uh, the second half of that episode is devoted to talking about the concept of a muse of muse discourse in part inspired by Jane Birkin's death and the, um, kind of public, you know, remembrance of her since then. Um, and, Anyways, there's there's this great quote that Dasha says in it. Donald Trump is artist and muse. He trafficked in the artifice that is reflective of his time. And I think that um, that actually applies to her as well, right? Dasha is both the artist, the agent of creation um, with Red Scare, with her movies, with like her active participation online. She is also someone who people very naturally project onto find as an inspiration find as an object of desire and she is to use her words she's trafficking in the artifice that is reflective of her time and so yes many many women are using the same tools in an attempt to achieve the same ends as dasha but she to my mind is the most successful at it and really the most original as well back to the point I made up top about how many like Dasha knockoffs you can find like (laughs) any which way you look on Twitter and in the streets (laughs) but um I think that she's still doing it the best so yeah and then the other thing from that that episode that stood out to me is you know, they're talking about this this desire of among modern women to be a muse is reflective of this desire for, in their words, many simps versus the love of one man. And so this idea that, you know, really what women are desiring is attention and confirmation of their own desirability by many, not actually connection and love and even like in amazing sexual world with one man and they both agree on that point but it's interesting because I think like that the former like desiring of attention of many is totally how I see Dasha and I don't fault her for it but maybe I don't fault her for it because I see her being successful in garnering that attention right like um there's certainly a lot of people that feel 
attention starved specifically around their uh that feel like desperate to be sexualized by others who we don't see like getting that positive reinforcement and therefore it feels sad but um but I don't know there's something about Dasha back to the the the, you know how her quote-unquote desperation functions that just never actually feels pathetic um and or or when it is bordering on that or when it's called out for being pathetic like she's able to as I've said just like you know she kind of just like squirms out of any situation anyways um yeah and I guess you know taken in that binary that they just laid out like Anna is the wife mother figure at this point in her life whereas Dasha is the perennial single sexualized girl um even though she's not literally perennially single but you know in in effect and um I think that feel like I've heard them draw that binary and uh, yeah I've heard that refrain from them multiple times and um it is probably too simplistic in and of itself and also too simplistic like to map them each onto um the different sides of that coin um however I feel like that does kind of get to a root of um of how they portray themselves as opposites and you kind of you you feel both the judgment for the other side and the longing for the other side um that actually brings me maybe to where we'll end on this, which is um, the dream threat of Dasha. I think the dream is that she gets to embody and portray and play with all of these pieces of femininity that we feel are very indulgent, very annoying, very um, your worst, most childish I guess and um you know base like impulses on display and get rewarded for them um and so I I think that that's the biggest piece of the dream I also think yeah I mean I think I think that there is a real dream about being kind of successful in a for lack of a better term, like DIY space um, and to feel like someone who's very like naturally born out of a space in time, right? I mean, Dasha's like, Dasha said to be like the next Chloe Sevigny by so many people and I feel like that will likely become true. And oh my God, also there's that really great picture of them from some awards show where they're embracing. It's like, yeah, I feel like that that photo will really go down in history. But um, yeah, I think like she's... I mean, she's obviously just like beautiful and successful um, and I, but I think really like, yeah, it's more about that getting to, yeah, endlessly debase yourself and like have no, have no negative consequences or something. <laughs> um, and then I think the threat is that that's not available to you. Okay. That's like the threat every time. It's like the, the dream is the thing that you want and the threat is that you can't have it. Um, but I think that internally how that functions for a lot of people and for me at times has been like okay I'm going to I'm going to create like formal value-based rejections of the things that she is doing like oh it's indulgent oh it's like it's in poor form (laughs) as a way to cope with my 
desire that I could be successful doing that. Um, so yeah, and that obviously it's just like way easier to form, to invent like ethical criticisms of her behavior rather than to just acknowledge that you wish you could be as successful doing those things. Um, but yeah, anyways, um, I don't even know why I was like reminded of this, but for some reason what's coming to mind is this, forgive me, this SNL skit from honestly probably like 10 years ago now where it's um, Jay Farrow playing Kanye and I forget the chick's name who's playing Kim. Um, And then Lady Gaga was the host that day. So she's playing like an Apple store employee. Anyways, I forget the context, but they're like interfacing with this Apple store employee because like Kim's laptop broke and they were like going back and forth. Anyways, and then like uh, Jay Farrell playing Kanye is like doing like a side by side like fashion comparison of them or something. Okay, just bear with me. And then Lady Gaga's character is like, you know, she looks really like dorky and dumpy and she's got like weird khakis and like sad shoes and like glasses and like, I mean, she looks crazy. And then she's Kanye's like, who like looks better right now in their outfit basically and then lady gaga's character is like how can you even compare us we're not even wearing the same thing and then the kanye character is like and that's a damn shame (laughs) i don't know why (laughs) but the and that's a damn shame feels like it relates so much to dasha where there's like there there's this like vitriol of like oh we can't all just you know like barely work and just like have this harem of men around us and just be like wearing bows in our hair and mary janes and then it's like yeah that's a damn shame you know so (laughs) uh anyways um well to dasha and to anna Um, Thank you so much for all that you have given and created and set in motion with your project. And yeah, maybe someday they'll come on Star Girl. (laughs) Okay, well, thank you everybody for listening. And I wish you all the best. And... We'll talk soon. All right. Bye. I like the girls that do drugs. Girls with cigarettes in the back of the club. Girls that hate cops and bad girls. Girls with no buns. Girls that's me just for fun. I like girls who make love, but I love girls who like to fuck. That's what's up. Small girls, girls with dicks, call girls, girls who get naked on the grill. They say I'm too fucking.